Welcome to Conference Coverage, presented by ReachMD on XM Radio and powered by Health Day, featuring the latest research findings presented at the American College of Cardiology's 60th Annual Scientific Session and Expo, held April 2nd through the 5th in New Orleans. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And I'm Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted approximately 30,000 participants from around the world. The conference highlighted recent advancements in the treatment, management, and prevention of cardiovascular diseases, with presentations also focusing on novel drugs and surgical approaches to improve the quality of care for patients. Results were presented from the five-year Platinum Study, in which researchers at New York Presbyterian Hospital and Columbia University Medical Center found a new platinum chromium stent was equivalent to the standard cobalt chromium stent. Both led to similar rates of cardiac death, heart attack, and ischemia-driven target lesion revascularization. The investigators randomized over 1,500 patients undergoing angioplasty in one or two coronary arteries between January and September of 2009, receiving either the new platinum chromium stent or the standard cobalt chromium stent. The researchers followed patients for a year after surgery, with the primary endpoint being a composite of target vessel-related cardiac death, heart attack, and lesion revascularization. The primary endpoint occurred in a similar proportion of patients in both groups. The lead researcher on the study, Dr. Greg Stone, reported that only 3% of patients had an event over one year follow-up. In addition, few patients died and only 1.9% of patients underwent target lesion revascularization. Stent thrombosis occurred in just 0.4% of patients in each group. The trial did not evaluate whether this newer generation platinum chromium stent was easier to use. That has yet to be determined in clinical practice. Dr. Stone said that, overall, both stents provided good outcomes and are attractive options for patients undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention. The study was funded by Boston Scientific. In another non-inferior clinical study called the Magellan Trial, an international research team found that for the prevention of venous thromboembolism, or VTE, in acutely ill hospitalized patients, the oral anticoagulant rivaroxaban was not inferior to the standard injectable drug anoxaparin for short-term use of 10 days. Rivaroxaban was also found to be superior to anoxaparin for long-term use totaling 35 days. Over 8,000 patients from 52 countries around the world were randomized to receive rivaroxaban for 35 days or anoxaparin for 10 days. Both groups also received either an oral or subcutaneous placebo. The primary endpoint was a composite of asymptomatic proximal DVT, symptomatic DVT, symptomatic non-fatal pulmonary embolism, and VTE-related death. After a follow-up of 10 days, the investigators found that 2.7% of patients in both groups experienced this primary endpoint. In addition, after a follow-up conducted at 35 days, only 4.4% of patients receiving rivaroxaban experienced this primary endpoint compared to 5.7% receiving anoxaparin. However, while bleeding rates were generally low across the study, investigators cautioned that rivaroxaban was associated with a significantly higher rate of bleeding at both 10 and 35 days. Dr. Alexander Cohen, lead author of the study, reported that similar to previous studies in this area, the Magellan trial found an ongoing risk of VTE past the initial period of hospitalization. The investigators did not see a consistent positive benefit-risk balance with rivaroxaban use, so further analysis is needed to identify which groups of patients will benefit most.
The study was funded by Bayer Healthcare and Johnson and Johnson. A novel device appears to lower resistant blood pressure. The new device, called the Rios system, uses baroreflex activation to reduce blood pressure to target levels among patients with severe and uncontrolled hypertension. That was the finding of a multicenter phase three study in which researchers implanted the Rios system in 265 patients with resistant hypertension who were taking at least three blood pressure drugs, including a diuretic. Patients were then randomized in a two-to-one ratio to baroreflex activation therapy for 12-month duration, or control treatment for the first six months, followed by baroreflex activation therapy for the following six months. The Rios system device was implanted just below the patient's collarbone and delivered four to six volts of electricity to the carotid arteries, mimicking a spike in blood pressure that activates carotid baroreflex. Among patients in the 12-month baroreflex activation group. Investigators found that systolic blood pressure decreased to target levels in 41% of patients after six months, and in 54% of patients after 12 months. In the control group, only 21% of patients achieved target systolic blood pressures after six months, while 46% of patients reached target levels after 12 months. Meanwhile, diastolic blood pressure fell in both groups at six and 12 months. Lead author Dr. John Bizognano said the system appears to be safe. And its effect is as good as two or three drugs for people who are already taking upwards of five and still can't control their hypertension. The study was funded by CVRX Inc., which developed the Rios system. In patients with hypertension and glucose intolerance, two drugs that lower blood pressure by dilating blood vessels, the angiotensin the angiotensin II receptor blocker valsartan and the calcium channel blocker amlodipine. Appeared to provide similar effects on cardiovascular outcomes. This was the finding of a study at Nagoya University in Japan, in which 1,150 patients with hypertension and either type 2 diabetes or impaired glucose tolerance were randomized to receive valsartan or amlodipine as their first-line treatment. The primary outcome measure was a composite of acute heart attack, stroke, coronary revascularization, hospital admission due to congestive heart failure, and sudden cardiac death. Investigators found this primary outcome occurred in 9.4 percent of patients in the valsartan group, and 9.7 percent in the amlodipine group, an insignificant difference. There were no significant differences in all-cause mortality or adverse events. This was the first randomized trial, following several non-randomized analyses comparing ARBs to calcium channel blockers. Nagoya University received grants from pharmaceutical companies, including Novartis, which manufactures Valsartan, and Pfizer, which manufactures Amlodipine. A second Japanese study found the combination of the ARB Olmosartan and calcium channel blocker seems to benefit elderly patients with hypertension and cardiovascular disease compared to a high dose ARB alone. In the past, calcium channel blockers have generally been recommended as first-line hypertension treatments in elderly patients, but ARBs have also been shown to benefit this patient population. For this study, researchers randomized 1,164 high-risk elderly hypertension patients to receive high-dose olmosartan or a calcium channel blocker combined with olmosartan. The primary endpoint was a composite of cardiovascular events and all-cause death. Blood pressure was adequately controlled in both treatment groups. However, the combination therapy reduced blood pressure to significantly lower levels than monotherapy. 
Additionally, patients with pre-existing cardiovascular disease in the combination therapy group had significantly fewer occurrences of cardiovascular events and death compared with those in the monotherapy group. The lead author of this study received funding from pharmaceutical companies, including Daiichi Sankyo, the manufacturer of Olmosartan. Percutaneous repair that involves implantation of a mitral clip appears to be less effective at reducing mitral regurgitation than open-heart surgery, but does seem to be associated with improved safety, according to researchers at North Shore University Health System in Evanston, Illinois. 279 patients with moderate to severe mitral regurgitation were randomized in a 2 to 1 ratio to undergo either percutaneous repair or conventional open-heart surgery. The primary endpoint was a composite of freedom from death, from surgery for mitral valve dysfunction, and from grade 3 or 4 mitral regurgitation at 12 months. The investigators found that the rates of freedom from these negative outcomes at 12 months were only 55% in the percutaneous repair group compared to 73% in the surgery group. 20% of the percutaneous repair group needed surgery for mitral valve dysfunction, compared to only 2% in the surgery group. The rates of grade 3 or 4 mitral regurgitation were 21% and 20% respectively, while the death rate was 6% in each group. However, major adverse events at 30 days occurred in only 15% of patients in the percutaneous repair group, compared to 48% of patients in the surgery group. The authors of an editorial published in the New England Journal of Medicine accompanying these findings write that, ideally, any new procedure would be at least equivalent to surgical valve repair in terms of safety, valve function, durability, and long-term outcomes. The mitral valve clip that was evaluated in this study fulfills some, but not all, of these criteria. This study was supported by Abbott Vascular, the manufacturer of the clip used for percutaneous repair in this study. For treatment of left main coronary artery stenosis, percutaneous coronary intervention with serolimus-eluting stents appears to be equivalent to coronary artery bypass grafting in terms of major adverse cardiac or cerebrovascular events. This was the finding of a South Korean study published in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with its presentation at the meeting. Though recent clinical guidelines have stated that elective percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, can be considered for patients with unprotected left main coronary artery disease, the aggregated evidence favored cabbage. And until now, there has been a lack of evidence on whether outcomes after PCI are similar to those after cabbage. For this study, researchers randomized 300 patients with unprotected left main coronary artery stenosis to undergo cabbage and 300 to PCI with serolimus-eluting stents. The investigators used a wide margin for non-inferiority, with a composite primary endpoint including death from any cause, heart attack, stroke, or ischemia-driven target vessel revascularization at one and two years. Investigators said the rates of cardiac and cerebrovascular events during this time were substantially lower than anticipated. The composite rate of death, myocardial infarction or stroke at two years, occurred in only 13 and 14 patients in the two groups, respectively. At one year, the cumulative event rate for patients who underwent PCI was 8.7% compared with 6.7% of patients in the cabbage group. At two years, the cumulative event rate in the PCI group was 12.2% compared with 8.1% in the cabbage group. These differences were not statistically significant. 
The authors noted that while PCI with serolimus-eluting stents appear to be non-inferior to cabbage with respect to major adverse cardiac or cerebrovascular events, the non-inferiority margin was wide, such that the results cannot be considered clinically directive. Radial and femoral access for coronary angiography in patients with acute coronary syndromes appears both safe and effective, though there is a lower rate of local vascular complications associated with the radial approach. That's the finding of a study led by Canadian researchers, which randomized patients with acute coronary syndromes, or ACS, from 158 hospitals in 32 countries to coronary angiography with radial or femoral access. Previously, small trials have suggested radial access for PCI reduces vascular complications and bleeding compared with femoral access. Correspondingly, the investigators of this study observed that 106 patients in the femoral access group had developed a large hematoma at 30 days post-procedure, compared with only 42 patients in the radial access group. Added, 23 patients in the femoral access group had a pseudoaneurysm needing closure, compared with 7 in the radial access group. Radial access did not reduce the primary outcomes of death, myocardial infarction, stroke, or non-cabbage-related major bleeding compared with femoral access. However, in addition to reduced vascular complications and similar PCI success rates, radial access was commonly preferred by patients for subsequent procedures. The study was funded in part by Sanofi Aventis. For patients with coronary artery disease and heart failure, there is no survival benefit from coronary artery bypass grafting or cabbage over medical therapy alone. That's according to researchers at Duke University Medical Center. Their study included 1,200 patients with ejection fractions of 35% or less and CAD. The investigators assigned patients to groups receiving either medical therapy, cabbage, or a combination of the two. They found that those who received medical therapy alone versus medical therapy plus cabbage showed no significant difference with respect to death from any cause, However, the cabbage group had lower rates of death or hospitalization for cardiovascular causes than the group receiving medical therapy alone. This study was funded in part by Abbott Laboratories. Researchers say practicing yoga may reduce episodes of irregular heartbeat and improve the symptoms of anxiety and depression associated with atrial fibrillation. Also, remaining physically active throughout one's lifetime may prevent declines in heart mass. In a prospective single-center study, Investigators evaluated 49 patients with atrial fibrillation who had no physical limitations. Participants were permitted to engage in any type of physical activity they were previously used to during a three-month control phase, followed by a three-month study phase in which participants engaged in a supervised yoga program. The investigators found that the yoga study phase significantly reduced the number of episodes of irregular heartbeat in patients from 3.8 to 2.1. Yoga also reduced depression and anxiety scores and improved quality of life scores. In another study, researchers evaluated 121 healthy subjects with no evidence of heart disease who were either sedentary or lifelong exercisers. Lifelong exercisers were stratified into groups based on the number of times per week they exercised. While sedentary subjects' heart mass diminished with age, the investigators found lifelong exercisers had heart mass expansion with increasing frequency of exercise. Researchers note that if patients in middle age can be encouraged to exercise four to five times a week, this may go a long way in preventing some major heart conditions of old age, including heart failure. This conference coverage from the American College of Cardiology's 60th Annual Scientific Session and Expo, held April 2nd through the 5th in New Orleans, 
has been a presentation of ReachMD on XM Satellite Radio and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day. 